Well, hello again, and uh, lovely to be with you. Hope you had good Christmases and New Year's. And uh, put your hands up if you got if you you're the sort of person that does a resolution. You know, you think of the year ahead and think this is what I resolve to do. We got a kind of a hand there. Not many. Oh, you're obviously too old to bother with that stuff <laughs> anymore. Um, okay. Is it? Uh, by the way, uh, this is a one-off sermon. We'll be starting a new sermon series next week, looking at Titus. I haven't thought of a title yet. Actually, no, I did think of a title, and I forgot what it is. Um, but I'm hoping it will come back to me. Uh, so it's a one-off sermon. We're going to be looking at James, the book of James. If you want to grab a Bible, there are some at the back. The words will appear on the screen, uh, or you can look on your phones or your own actual real-life Bibles. Um, but question for you, are you a planner... Or are you a winger? So what I mean by that, are you a planner? Are you the sort of person that needs to plan everything down to a greater or lesser degree? You work out what you're going to do. Or are you a person that does, no, I'm, I'm free and easy. I'm just going to wing it. I don't want to constrain myself to plan. So let's, hands up if you are a planner. Okay, hands down. Hands up if you're a winger. Okay, there's more planners than wingers. Um, how many have got, uh, maybe you're in a married couple and one of you is a planner and one of you is a winger? Put your hand up. Oh, there's a few of you. That can cause some interesting uh, problems. I, I'm very much a planner. I'm very much a planner. Um, I, and I suppose there's numerous reasons for that. For, part of it's a security reason. You know, you, you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So if I want to feel secure that I'm more likely to get something right or something's going to be successful, then I'm going to plan it. So there's a sense of security in that. I've shared this before that when um, I was getting married to Jen, uh, just over t- ten and a half years ago, um, I came up with a 16-page wedding plan that I gave to all the ushers, knowing that the best man probably wouldn't organise things particularly well. So I felt for, security, for my own sense of security... Because I wasn't doing the wedding, I had to at least uh, step in and plan it uh, all. But also, my planning goes to every single day. Every single day, Jen has come to the stage where she knows she needs to ask me, what do you plan to do today? Because otherwise she'll come up with things, just winging it, and, and it, and it, and it doesn't quite meet what my expectations uh, were. And I guess what I have in my head, I don't know if any of you are like this, I have a mental checklist of things that I want to get done, and I get a sense of accomplishment with the more ticks that I've managed to tick off on my checklist. We've got a few nods like that. And I can look back over the day and I can feel proud of the things that I have managed to do today. So if Jen goes and plans something that doesn't fit on my checklist, I feel a little bit kind of... Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't accomplish the things that I would like to. James has some stuff to say about planning and those who like to plan. We're going to look at James chapter 4. James is found right at the back of the Bible. James is the, uh, was the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus. And um, interestingly, he became a Christian after Jesus had died and resurrected. He couldn't quite... We won't go into it now, but there's quite a lot of points in the New Testament where uh, Jesus' family are causing quite a few problems because they don't see Jesus as being who he truly was. And James was one of those. But he becomes a leading light within the early Christian church. He has his letter that he wrote uh, called James. And I'm just going to read to you um, chapter 4 and verses 13 to 17. Now listen. 
I always feel that's kind of like, come on. Now, I always feel like you should have a northern accent. Now, listen. You're going to sit yourself down. We're going to, you need some things we need to talk about, okay? Because I've heard some troubling rumors. So, now, listen. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the goods they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Some quite harsh, strong words there from James. And I think he says a key danger around the subject of planning. By the way, it isn't wrong to plan, but there are some dangers. And really, I suppose it's two things. One, it's, it's planning without considering God, or planning and then asking God later to endorse what you have done. And really, within the context of this letter, so this letter was written probably about 20 years after Jesus died, maybe a little bit less uh, than that. And um, it's written to Jewish Christians scattered throughout the nations, uh, although obviously not the nations as we would see it, but certainly scattered all over the place. And uh, it's a great time of commercial activity. There is profit to be made for that discerning businessman. And it seems that James is very much talking to those businessmen and women whose lives were driven by the need to make profits. And they plan ahead and they look at all this, what they have done and they're looking like we're going to go here and we're going to you know, sell loads of stuff here and we're going to go to this town I'm going to meet with this person and I'm all driven by this need to accomplish things. These are successful, driven business people who maybe live life at 100 miles an hour. And they're business people who are proud of their accomplishments. They're proud of their successes. They're proud of being in control. Actually, they're proud of life. They've looked at all the things they have done. And they're planning for all the things that they will do. But actually, James is saying there's a warning here. There's a danger here. See, why is this attitude dangerous? Well, firstly, in verse 14, James says, look, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You've got all these plans, all these, you know, I don't know if you have a, a year plan or a five-year plan or a ten-year plan. I saw on Facebook in the new year, one particular guy who's a church leader, and he had, had listed all these things he had planned for the coming year. And I looked at them, first of all, I thought, I don't know how you're going to fit it all in. So, you know, plans around his family, plans around his church, plans around a charity he was setting up, a, a, an event he was organising. I'm looking at it going, wow, that's all just for one year? And generally, is that for the decade? Well, no, no, that's for the, just for one year. And then a second thought was, well, how do you know? How, 
how do you know it's going to happen? Because you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone in a year's time or five years' time or ten years' time. You are not in control. You are not in control. Life is transitory. Life is insubstantial. It's like a mist, James says. Along with all worldly things, things come to an end. Things come and go. Things disappear. And it is okay to plan. In fact, it's foolish not to plan sometimes. And it certainly pays to be positive about life. But in reality, you don't know what is going to happen tomorrow, tomorrow, let alone in 2020. And what James is saying is not so much it's bad to plan, but actually he's talking to people who are boasting in things they have no control over. They're looking back over the, the, the year and they're maybe seeing a sense of control. They look at all the things I've accomplished, all the things I've done. Aren't I good? Shouldn't I be proud? And they're therefore boasting of the things that they're going to do tomorrow and in years to come. Proverbs 27 verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. So that's the crux of the problem here that James is identifying. This is the danger that you are boasting of things that actually you haven't got any control over. You are boasting, you are finding security in. And maybe that will lead to... You know, I can imagine these businessmen walking down the road and seeing, you know, they're, they're in their wealthy, wealthy clothes, they've got their plans, they're about to set off to another city, and they see a homeless person or a poor person, and they look on, on the street, and they look at them saying, well, they're obviously not in control of their life. If they were more like me, then maybe they too would be going off to do business somewhere else. You can become proud of what you have done rather than looking at a person who's less fortunate and thinking, there, but for the grace of God, go I. I remember chatting to a lad. I was in my early 20s, he was a teenager, and um, he wasn't really into church, as they're often not, teenage boys. And um, he had great plans. He was a very talented footballer. He'd started to um, do some training, with the local football team that was at that stage was in the Premier uh, Division League, whatever it's called. I don't know, I don't do football. But he was very proud of the things that he was going to do. His life was planned around football. And then he got ME. Don't know where it came from, don't know why it happened, but suddenly he, he would just, for a week, just disappear into his room, unable to move, unable to do anything. His parents said that they knew it was going to happen because they'd find him in the garden, just kind of looking up at the sky, not quite sure where he was. Suddenly, this person who was very physically able became physically unable to do, unable to do anything. His plans came to nothing 
And as a teacher, their whole school was full of teenage boys who had great plans based upon their footballing ability or ability to shoot people in a computer game. And they're going to be computer game testers or Premier League footballers. And we can laugh at them and go, oh, how naive. They're only teenage boys. How silly. They should have worked harder at school. But how different are we? See, we may not be driven by the need to make profits as these businessmen were in James's day. But maybe there are things that are driving us. There are always things that are driving us. The need for that perfect family and that perfect family time. The hobbies, the skills that you enjoy, that you put at the forefront. You want to be able to just really focus on those. Maybe holidays. Maybe your world revolves around the next holiday, the next break that you're going to have, the next best thing. Maybe it's around your purchases and your possessions. And you look at what you have done and what you have, and you look at what you're going to do and what you're going to get, and you have a sense of pride about them. Maybe like me, it's a checklist, tick, done. Oh, that I feel good about myself. And yet you don't even know what is going to happen tomorrow. So what's our response to this? Well, there's three things I think we should consider uh, this morning. Maybe they can be resolutions uh, next year, for this year. And the first one is this. Number one, ask first. Number one, ask first. We need to get in the habit of stopping and slowing down and asking God about the things in our lives and our plans. We need to not rush. We need to pray. We need to recognize, as it says in Proverbs 16, verse 9, a heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Or in Proverbs 19, verse 21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We can come up with all sorts of ideas and plans, but in reality, it's only the plans of God's. They're, going to have, they're actually going to come to fruition. Also, James says, don't get in the habit of saying, if it is God's will. If it is God's will, then I will do this. Don't start making promises you can't keep. Time and time again, Paul in his letters says, you know, I will, I'm going to come and see you. But then he says, if that is God's will. He recognises that his life, he just doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And if you read about Paul's life, it was pretty up and down. He says, if it is God's will. Now, I don't say you say that at the end of every single sentence. Because it can become a little bit like, you know, touch wood. Some people say touch wood. That's not wood. But touch wood. You know, they get in that habit. It's just something you say. And this, if, God, if it's God's will, that becomes just a habitual thing you say. Don't say it. Think it. And all the plans, not everything you do, but the plans you make, the holidays, the purchases, the key decisions in life, maybe even some minor decisions. Think to yourself, God, is this your will? Slow down. Don't rush. Pray. Ask first. Recognizing the uncertainty of life. 
but also the firm foundation of God. Actually, by praying, what we are actually doing is widening, broadening our world view. Recognising there are influences in our life that go beyond those things we can measure and those things we can see and the things that we can tick on a checklist. There are spiritual things happening that many of the time we are oblivious to. But actually by praying, we are starting to access those things. We're going to stop and listen and say, God, what should I do? That's what we're going to do tonight, by the way. In our evening service, we're going to stop, we're going to listen, we're going to pray, we're going to look at the year ahead and say, God, what, what do I need to look out for? What do I need to be wary of? What good things are going to happen? What more challenging things are going to be happening? So that we can be prepared and we can make sure that we go in the right direction. So one, ask first. Number two, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, if you are filled with anger, then anger controls your life. If you are filled with greed, then greed dominates your life. If you're filled with lust, then lust governs all you do. But if you are filled by the Holy Spirit, then you will be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So if if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if God resides in you, which is a follower of Jesus Christ, you have access to, you have that gift of the Holy Spirit then actually what you are able to do is rather than to ask God time and time again, should I be doing this? Should I be doing this? Should I go left or should I go, go right? Actually, the Holy Spirit starts to shape your feelings, your emotions, but also the way your brain works. So the decisions that you make are influenced by the Holy Spirit. There's a point in, the, in Acts, Acts of the Apostles. It's a story of the early church, the first Christians after Jesus has been resurrected and ascended to heaven, it talks about their story about, okay, what did they do next? There's a particular point where they've got an issue around um, some of the legalities of the Jewish faith. And they make a decision. And they send out a letter. And they say these words, it is good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It's good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I find that really quite affirming and encouraging. Actually, we can make decisions that seem right because we have the Holy Spirit within us. Actually, the more we have the Holy Spirit filling us, the more the increased likelihood is that the the decisions that we make align themselves with God's will. And when we align ourselves with God's will, there is a significant increase in the chance of things happening. And our plans coming to fruition. So don't have to constantly ask that question, is if it's God's will. Actually, our decisions start to naturally be influenced by God's will when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. The right decisions and the right courses of actions will naturally flow out of us. So one, ask first. Two, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And lastly, number three. Do the next right thing. Number three, do the next right thing. 
couple of months ago, uh, you will know because I told you in the service that I went to see Frozen 2 with my daughters. It was Eve's birthday and uh, we went to uh, see Frozen 2. I quite enjoyed it. If you had you seen Frozen 2, a few of you, a few of you need to take a trip down the cinema, I think, and see Frozen 2. And um, I t- it was one of these things where you watch the film, you think, oh, that was all right. And then you spend the whole next week and two weeks, three weeks, listening to the music over and over and over uh, again. And, and actually, what, what the film is very much about is about growing up. Growing up and realising that things change. And those things that we find security in and that guide us actually sometimes go away. Or they lead us in the wrong direction. And you know, for some of you, 2019 may have been a really difficult year. And maybe you have done some growing up. Realising that you are not as in control as you thought you were. That maybe some of those foundational things you thought would never change have changed. Maybe some of those things that have guided you in the past are no longer there. Or maybe for you, 2020 and the way ahead is rather unclear and murky. And you're at a point where you're thinking, I don't know what to do next. Actually, I'm afraid of what will happen next because this last year has been pretty rubbish. Well, there's one particular song. I'll read you the lyrics from Frozen 2. There's a lot of depth to Frozen 2. And I'm not going to read you the whole song. It's called The Next Right Thing. And it's sung by one particular uh, member of the sto- part of the sto- late girl in the story called Anna. And she's had her feet knocked out from her. And all those foundational truths and the things she finds security in taken away from her. This is what she says towards the end of the song. I won't look too far ahead. It's too much for me to take. But break it down to this next breath, this next step. This next choice is the one I can make. So I'll walk through this night, stumbling blindly toward the light, and do the next right thing. And with it done, what comes then? When it's clear that everything will never be the same again, then I'll make the choice to hear that voice. And do the next right thing. See, one of the dangers of feeling you're in control. One of the dangers of having plans set in stone. One of the dangers of being proud of what you have done and proud of what you will do. Is laid out to us in verse 17. Anyone then, who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. A lot of the time we know the next right thing we should do. We know the good thing we shouldn't do, but it doesn't fit in our plans. It doesn't fit in our holiday plans. Or maybe it's going to get in the way of our 
family plans. Or maybe it's going to affect your progression in work or the profits that you are going to make. You know it's the right thing to do. You know it's the good thing to do. But you don't do it because it doesn't fit in with your plans. And maybe some of you need to get to the point where you grow up and realise that the illusion of control is an illusion. And when you can do that, when you get used to building your life around the will of God, when you get to the point when you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and to control you and to influence your decisions and the things you do, then you will be, enable, be, be enabled to do the next right thing. Even if you don't know where you are going, even if you don't know what that step will lead on to, Even if the world seems murky and dark. Are you able to just do the next right thing? To break it down to this next breath. This next step. This next choice. That rather than being crippled by uncertainty and grief. You can break it down. And do the next right thing. I want us to pray. As we end this sermon. And I want to pray particularly for those who are unsure of what the next step will be. For those who look at 2020 with... Fear and trepidation. And just need to know, what is the next right thing that I need to do? What is God's will for my life? And actually, what that comes down to really is being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to give you an opportunity just to be quiet for a moment and just ask yourself and ask God, do I need to respond to this? And then if you do feel you need to respond to this, in any way, maybe it's, I, I plan too much and God, I need to give more over to you. Or God, I don't, want, I don't want to plan because I don't want to commit to anything and that's a form of control in itself and I need to actually commit to you, God. Or maybe you're just feeling uncertain. Or maybe you just want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be quiet. Ask God.